0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Um, so this is Burmese tofu. So
2: what have you done? To it, it? It's,
1: I made it myself. Uh-huh. So it's not like, um, your normal tofu, which is soybeans. Obviously this is the made from gram flour, which is kind of like a, a mix it's of chickpeas flour. and split peas. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, so yeah, I made this last night, um, and it's set overnight into this kind of lovely, wibbly tofu, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to deep fry it, uh, and then I'm going to serve it to you with some tamarind dipping sauce. And I'm going so to eat it. You're going to eat it. It's going to make kind of a, in fact, yeah, be careful. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to the Food and Psych podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and food explorer, take you through all things food, psychology, and everything in between. And in this episode, I'm breaking bread with Mimi A. Mimi is British born to Burmese parents and has spent her whole life soaking up Burmese food, language, and culture through endless trips to see friends and family in Burma, also known as Myanmar. She is a passionate advocate for Burmese cuisine, the founder of a supper club and online community, Burmese Food and Beyond, and the author of Noodle 100 Great Recipes. Her next book, Mandalay Burmese Food and Beyond, is out in June 2019 and contains nearly 100 simple but authentic recipes that reveal the secrets of the Burmese kitchen. And this is a real foodies episode. Mimi describes many of the key foods of Burmese culture and their preparation and symbolism and she shares her meaningful food in a story about prawn curry that brought us both to tears. And along the way we also hear about the legend of the illegal prawn procurement and the tale of an unwanted edible gift from a military dictator. For me this episode was a real crash course in the traditions of the Burmese dinner table and the cultural food practices of the country and it was absolutely fascinating and I really hope you enjoy sitting around the table with Mimi A. Okay Mimi so explain to me what we're doing and Really, the extent of the labour that I'll be. <laughs> I'm going to make for you, you earn your lunch, basically.
1: <laughs> so, um, what I decided was that we were we're going to have a very typical Burmese meal. Um, so, it's centered around rice um, because we do love noodles. Um, but it's a snack. Noodles are something that you might have as a breakfast or like a second breakfast, or it might be something where if you've just been shopping in a market and you're hungry mm-hmm. and you. know go and have a quick bite to eat then that would be noodles Um, but proper meals are rice Um, like quite a lot of Asia we have that thing where if someone says have you eaten yet they actually say have you had rice yet Mm. Uh, and in fact that's how we say hello we don't really have a word for hello in Burmese. Okay so how do you say
2: hello? You say uh, which means have you eaten rice yet? (laughs) I love that I love that (laughs) so uh, the the greeting, the actual kind of I acknowledge your existence hello, welcome to my life is have you eaten anything? Yeah,
1: basically. Or have you eaten have rice? Have you eaten yeah. rice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it, it's important. Everyone eats and everyone needs to have a nice full stomach because you can't do anything otherwise. I mean, my family particularly encapsulate that term, is it hangry? Where <laughs> if you haven't eaten, yes. you're in a bit of a bad mood. <laughs> and, you know, rice is lovely and filling, and it keeps your belly full. I mean, even, you know, throughout the whole country, even the poorest um will eat rice because it'll keep them happy and satisfied mm. so you know that that's the way to know that you've, you're being looked after because you've had some food and you've had some rice um so yes as i said it's gonna be rice um the mic
2: a little closer <laughs>
1: um and with your rice you have to have things with the rice because otherwise just it's, it's going to be a little bit dull Sure. Although, you know you, you know it, delicious but dull delicious but dull <laughs> So, um, uh, we're going to make a prawn curry. Okay, this is good. Um, and we're going to have side dishes as well. Um, so, we'll have a soup uh, called chingye hin, which is a sour soup. And you have that on the side rather than as a starter. Okay. Um, so, with meals in Burma, you don't have drinks. Uh, you have this soup at the side to kind of wet your appetite at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to have um, a cabbage and cucumber salad because we always have to have some kind of ve- vegetable. Why um, is that? Because you need the the balance of flavours and freshness and you also need the texture. We really, really care about texture of Burmese food. Um, One of the reasons is because um, historically transport's been pretty bad in Burma. And so, for example, in Mandalay we use a lot of onions, but in Yangon we use a lot of cucumbers in what would be the same dish because those are the areas that that grow, that produce those vegetables. Um, and so, you know, kind of necessity being the mother of invention. What we'll do is we'll take one ingredient, like garlic, and we'll use it in four different ways in the same dish. Um, and because of that, we kind of like really, really love texture because you know if you're going to have garlic. You want it crispy. You want it raw and pulps, You want it, you know, fried, and,
2: you know, roasted and caramelized. Roasted and caramelized. Mm-hmm. You,
1: you want different experiences, even if it's only the one ingredient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every meal has to have some kind of texture. So even if we have a soup in Burma, we have to have fried onions on top or, you know, some cracker. Mm-hmm. And then there needs to be something that gives you that kind of bite. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a nice fresh cabbage salad on the side. Um, and then the other thing that I'm going to dish up or we're going to make together are uh, Burmese tofu fritters. Okay. Um, again, because it's texture, but also we
2: really like fried food. <laughs> <laughs> you are winning me over so far. It's <laughs> like what's your meaningful dish Mimi well everything (laughs) we're gonna cook everything we've got curry we've got rice we've got salad (laughs) the the, the curry is particularly meaningful but yes yes I'm just gonna force feed you
1: that's fantastic um and the other reason I chose to make this is basically to give you kind of the grossest thing possible that I could make you do because I'm gonna make you clean the prawns
2: see now (laughs) guests when they come to your house. Literally, I'll post a picture of it for everybody to see, but Mimi, we have a little a little dish uh, full of raw prawns, full shell on, head on, legs basically looking at me. Um, and I, I'm not going to be a quiet bystander, which I'm, I'm very happy with, but we literally have lobster picks to pick out the... The, the brains the brains well the b- brains being a euphemism I think
1: technically
2: the brain is a euphemism <laughs> <laughs> because it's actually much worse than that. it is
1: actually much worse I think it's called the shrimp's hepatopancreas. hepatopancreas. Um, yeah. But in lobsters and crabs, it's called lobster fat or lobster tamale, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds much more appealing. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> and it's basically, you know how like with
2: crawfish boil, um, people like to suck their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the kind of the brawny goodness. And it, it's where in stocks you'll get all the flavour. Exactly, the which is why. Well. The and the heads in. Exactly. So what are we going to be doing with the heads, with the hepatopancreas? So <laughs> we're going to be scooping out the bread or scooping out the um, hepatopagraeus. We do um, need to find a better word for that,
1: I think. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. So in Burmese, we refer to it as bazanzi, which bazonsi. Bazonsi, which means prawn oil. Okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be scooping out the prawn oil um, and then adding it to the, the base, which I've already cooked, the curry base. Okay. Um, and then you kind of stir it through and then it's it's kind of... If you kind of imagine sh- shrimp paste or fish sauce, it's mm-hmm. kind of that kind of savoury umami flavour. Okay. It's like next level. Um, and if you don't have that kind of flavour fragrance, it's not a Burmese curry. It's not a Burmese prawn curry, I mean. So. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. So. so would you be able to tell, like, if you went to a restaurant, do you think, yeah. and it was served up and they said, hey, this is a Burmese prawn curry. Yeah, you'd be like, no, hang on, I can't taste the bazonzi, I can't taste the prawn oil.
1: So oh, fantastic. Yeah.
2: All right, well, not one to shy away <laughs> from hard work. Let's get going. What do you want okay. me
1: to do? Or, so yeah, we, sure we're going to have to do this as a little bit of an assembly line. That's fine. So I think probably the easiest thing to do is clean the bodies first. So take the tail and the shell mm-hmm. and then leave with the heads on and then just throw okay. them in that base for the moment. So put the shells and the tail in this Shells bit. and tail in on that one. And then the, the shrimp with the head still on in
2: the okay. basin. Sure. Okay. The zunzi. Oh. Oh, I yeah! I lost the head.
1: <laughs> we
2: cannot lose the head. That's the
1: most important <laughs> bit. I'm Do you know what? I had to run around all the different supermarkets, maybe to get ones with um heads on. Even Could wait- you get that from another supermarket? Weirdly, <laughs> <laughs> really, I got it from um, right. Morrison's. Yeah, that's as well.
2: So all right. uh,
1: that's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got it from Morrison's. Okay. I went to Waitrose, and Waitrose didn't have them because everything's kind of all
2: sanitised yeah. and. Already <laughs> clean, sanitized in Morrison's. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I know. Of course, course Morrison's, we understand. Yeah, well, they, they've
1: got a fishmonger counter, my, my waitress is quite small, so, Donald, okay.
2: so Can you tend to find all the ingredients you need in the in the common high street supermarkets or for, burmese food, for burmese food
1: you can actually in fact going back to morrison's I, 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 the reason i'm kind of slightly obsessed with morrison's is it, it is our it's our major supermarket <laughs> and when it first opened it took over a safeway i think it was oh my and god when was that it was a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when they first took over because it was a very northern supermarket sure. um It had lots of kind of things that I'd never seen before, like balm cakes and all manner of pies that I didn't understand, (laughs) and it was amazing. But um, there wasn't a massive kind of foreign food section, basically. Uh, But now, I mean, I I went there and they have their own own brand tamarind paste, their own brand shrimp
2: paste, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, Yay, Morrison, you really know your stuff. So yeah. And what's the um, kind of demographic around here? Oh, (laughs) very.
1: Very middle class okay. and, and quite white, okay. to be fair. Um, so actually,
2: it's quite impressive, perhaps. At the yeah, end.
1: yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, to be fair, that's probably why it's moved that way, and probably why uh, we got a waitress in the first place. In fact, actually, um, there was plans for a waitress for a really long time, and then they said, "Oh no, we don't think there's enough." Um, kind of you know the a market of the market here and then
2: there was like a petition which oh. i signed obviously oh and, that and might enough... be the most middle-class thing i've <laughs> <laughs> so ever
1: enough, enough people signed it that they did they caved in and oh uh, my yeah goodness. we have a lovely little waitrose now well
2: people want waitroses around them don't they because it doesn't it, it's it pushes yes. the house prices
1: up yeah it does it, it actually already has i'm not going to tell you how much our house is now but yes it has Noticeably made the houses oh, around us a lot isn't more that expensive. extraordinary well, well, it's funny because i mean it I would say that this place has always been very middle class but probably more tending towards
2: i don't know, but well, walking down there was a fair bit of wealth, i think there are a few portions of the there stairways. are but
1: but it's funny, but it it's kind of older wealth originally okay. and now it's more commuter built. okay, so I think that also might be partly why um the desire for more kind of Foreign ingredients has come about. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I've <laughs> I've lived in this area for oh, let me think, thirty-seven years. Have you? Yeah, I went to school here. In fact, my daughter is at a school round the corner from my primary school. Oh.
3: So.
2: Do you still see any of the old? what well, the people I went to school with. Yeah, they've all moved away. <laughs> I'm probably literally the only person that still lives in the area.
1: I'm not kidding. It's not been because my daughter's um, school this term, their project is the local area and the history of the local area. i going to talk about your And house. I, was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, I can tell you about, you know, that used to be a summer field. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: can tell you about it. I
2: haven't seen a summer field for ages. The shops. I can tell you about what the shops have changed. <laughs> I think we're making pretty good progress I mean, We are, actually. So, so, were you born here? I was, yes.
1: Okay. I was born at the seaside. My parents were both doctors, um, and so they kind of came over in a brain drain in the seventies.
2: Okay.
1: Um, with, oh, you know, there were a lot. But basically, there's a whole generation of Burmese uh,
2: people who are the same age as my parents, who are all doctors. And so, how did they find it? Did they know what they? What to expect? What to expect? Well, the funny thing is, is, they first applied to get to Australia, but at the time,
1: Australia were only accepting manual labourers, oh. um, and so they had the application So they were um, overqualified to get Yeah, to well, they just weren't the right type of qualified, sure. um, so they were wanting carpenters and plumbers and electricians, sure. um, so yes, I, I might have been Australian, so... <laughs>
2: So then they
1: apply to the UK. And... They apply to the UK. I mean, my mum wasn't massively gay because, you know, the Austra- Australia is closer to family, mm, but sure. also warmer.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: So, which is funny because my mum's from a town, um, basically in the hills, called Mogo, which is quite cold. It used to snow when oh. she was a child there. Not anymore, but... So yeah, she
2: should theoretically be used to the cold, but she's not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not this kind of cold. Not this kind of cold Well that is cold, but not. Isn't it? Right, I'm gonna wash my hands. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. What's next?
1: Okay. Head cheese. Yeah. Cornwall. The bit you love. Yeah. So yeah, what we'll do is we'll do the heads next and then we'll de-bane. Okay. Be <laughs> reading the baby <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway. Okay, so right. what we will do is. So pull the head off, scoop out basically the the, the reddish bit. this yeah. is, is the stuff. Scoop it into that, and then um, put the prom back into there. Okay, I kind of think. Yeah. All right, that's fine. <laughs> is
2: that right? Am I getting it? Yeah, right?
1: basically. It's gross. There's no two ways about it.
2: What? Well, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's when something. That's the thing about food, isn't it? It's just when something's familiar versus when something's unfamiliar. And if you're not familiar with scooping out the juice of a prawn's head, then it's gross. But if it's just a job, oh yeah, it's yeah. just a job, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, exactly. It's just something
1: you do. Well, it's funny. I feel kind of quite strongly about teaching my children about where things come from and how, you, if you are going to eat meat and fish and stuff, you mm. should make the most of it. We um, we were just in tokyo uh, not tokyo sorry we were just in japan on holiday and mm. we were with a friend of ours uh, in osaka and um, <coughs> she said to us you know i'll take you somewhere cool where do you want to go in terms of a restaurant mm-hmm. and we had no idea we just went oh come on just take us somewhere because you know you, you, you speak the local language mm-hmm. and you'll know what's cool yeah and uh, she went okay i'll book somewhere uh, and then she did and then we turned up and it was a fishing restaurant so basically, um, they they basically have you know these it's 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 like a huge wooden ship, mm-hmm. and then there's a motor around it, and the motor's full of fish, um, and they give you fishing rods. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> and they say to you, if you can catch a fish, um, it costs one thousand yen less than if you buy it from the menu. So it's kind of it's kind okay. of, it's, it's, worth it's worth having a go. Um and. I kind of thought, oh, my daughter's going to wuss out of this, and she's going to think, oh, I can't do this. The poor little fishies. How old is your daughter? Um, she's five. She loved it, and in fact, she actually managed. To, I mean, with some help, she managed to catch a, a little fish. Um, I think it was like a smelt or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she immediately wanted to catch another one. We were like, no, because if you catch it, you have to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. Um, and, and then I, um, I had a go, and I managed to catch a bream. Uh, not bream, okay. was it bream? I can't remember what it was, oh, but yes, I managed to catch one, and I was—it was, it, it, it was um, the biggest fish, and actually the hardest one to catch. You actually need bait to yeah. catch it, and, and I'd never done that before. And I was—it was just such—I was—I was kind of like, oh my god, this is so cool! I—I uh,
2: I feel like I've earned this fish. All right. Yeah. It also cuts down, I suppose, on labour costs for the restaurant. Yes. <laughs> get, get all the customers to do half the work. For
1: well, them. that's probably what need to take a thousand yen off you. So. <laughs> Is still recording
2: yeah Okay. <laughs> no that's fine i was just wondering so you said that the prawn curry was the most meaningful part of the meal yes
1: what did you mean by that so uh, so i I've, I've always really really liked prawns um when i was little um kind of it was a treat to have i think it was the the prawn and mayo sandwich from m&s i think it was that was like a treat mm-hmm. that we would have from time to time uh, my mum does not like prawns at all, mm. um, but she knew that I did. Um, I think my mum might be allergic or it might be just one of those things that mums say because they, they don't want
2: to have to... <laughs> they have to eat your food, but they,
1: they don't want to be food. mean. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, because of that, my mum never really used to cook prawns, so, as I, you know, the, that prawn was my treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was a child and um, we went to visit my family in Burma, um, I basically kind of always ordered prawn curry when we were out and about or even if we were just at home and you know my family went what do you want to eat tonight and I'd go I want prawn curry um, and so they'd always kind of acquiesce and I remember one time we went to a restaurant and I ordered it and it was just kind of the biggest prawns I'd ever seen they were almost lobster size and I think my eyes were going to pop out of my head because <laughs> I thought I've only ever seen these teeny little prawns in in my prawn sandwich and that was enough and these are kind of Next level! Oh, I'm in heaven. Um, and I just remember that I was eating it quite merrily, and none of the rest of my family um, were were kind of taking part. And um, and I said to them, "Oh, don't you know? Don't you want to eat prawns? You know, I, I don't let me eat this all by myself." It's probably about eight at the time, uh-huh. and my family were like, "No, no, it's fine. You get on. You know, we're, we're not massive fans ourselves." Um, so I said, oh, "Okay," and I just gorged by myself. And then it wasn't until I was a little bit older, um, I realized that the reason they, they they basically were all pretending they didn't like prawns because they wanted me to eat them, because they loved me so much and they wanted I know and they wanted me um to kind of have them. But also the other thing that I didn't realise is that they were unholy expensive. And the reason they were so expensive actually, which is kind of quite obsessing, is because although, you know, we have all of these massive freshwater like river prawns. They're almost entirely all exported um, so at home you only get the tiniest little dried shrimp generally unless you're prepared to kind of fork out for massive prawns. Um, so I didn't realize that I basically shot through the family budget by ordering prawn curry all the time. <laughs> so yeah no so the, the, I kind of associate that with kind of That's feeling loved really basically really moving. <laughs>
2: It is though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's actually even thinking about
2: it, it makes me feel a bit teary, it, so... it well, it's <laughs> making me teary, I wasn't even there. <laughs> you no, know, it's a really touching, you know, that they've, they were so happy to see you, and be with you, yeah. and that they just wanted you to be happy, and they knew that this was the one thing that you loved. Exactly. And even so. if they couldn't afford to participate with you. Yeah. So they just kind of made these little excuses, and just let me get on with it, so.
1: Oh... And it, it's kind of funny actually, because later on we have this thing where, um, if we wanted Burmese ingredients, well, they the, the, basically Burmese ships used to come to this country. They don't do it anymore, but it's probably in the eighties, maybe early nineties. Um, and they used to come to East India originally, um, and after that they went to Tilbury and so, the East India Dock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would happen is that they would be bringing all of the stuff. Uh, yeah okay um what would happen is they would they would be bringing all of um the prawns basically mm-hmm. in massive massive matches um and my dad um was telling me about how um when they first started doing that um, I, t- I don't really know about the ethics or legality of this basically, but <laughs> basically baby's customers would come along and meet the sailors on the ships and buy stuff
0: okay.
1: um and <laughs> So, so they'd actually be bringing all of this this food for, you know, commercial export. But, you know, if you knew and you knew the right people, you would turn up and then you, you'd, you'd come along and you'd, you'd buy a big bag of prawns or a, a big bag of... There's a fish called um, Ilish, um, at the Lao in Burmese, which is very, very popular, actually in, um, in India, Bangladesh as well. And it's incredibly bony, this fish, but basically you steam it for know, like six hours and it just completely melts in your mouth. Um, and you can eat everything, clean the bones, ah.
0: um,
1: and you can't get it in this country. But everyone really loved it. It's kind of like a taste of home. Mm. So basically, people, many people would go to these ships. They'd go see the sailors. <laughs> they'd, um, they'd get their prawns. They'd get their um, their Illish fish. And then <laughs> when they left, the sailors told them to when they were going past the customs guy on the gate. Mm. The, 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 the sailors
2: said, "Just give him one prawn." and he'll look you out and he won't, he won't look at what you've got in your pack So he was taking a prawn tax on the way yes, out. Yes, basically.
1: And because these were these massive prawns. So yeah, people would go through the gate, hand them a prawn. I said to my dad, are you sure about this? And my dad went, no, no, seriously, this used to happen all the time. We never did it because we were too chicken. But they would hear stories about it all the time, how people would literally go through, hand one prawn to the customs guy on the gate and then be waved
2: through Oh, I would love if I. Uh, I don't know what the odds are, but if there's a, an old customs guard or someone who knows <laughs> just, that story, you can verify it. Would be that would be beautiful, wouldn't it? it That's be fantastic. Amazing. I'd love the idea of just these kind of old Burmese expats just climbing aboard this <laughs> international. <laughs> A casual yeah. chat with the sailors. It used stuff. to be
1: one of the best um, paid jobs that you could have in Burma as being a sailor, because you'd be sent around the world mm. with all of these exports, and yeah, I and mean, then you'd be you know paid in pounds or dollars or whatever, and you'd earn a really good wage. You'd probably never see your family, mm. but you'd be bringing in a lot of money. In fact, I mean, two of my cousins used to do this. I mean, they have retired now, but yeah, this was the kind of thing they would do.
2: <laughs> I love the way that the. Um, expat and migrant communities find a way. Oh yeah, you know, there, there's a, such a resourcefulness, isn't it? There? There's like we're gonna, we we need to eat. Yes, our food. Yes, and we will find a way. Exactly.
1: I mean, there's always substitutes, right? You can always find substitutes, but sometimes you just properly want a taste of home, and you just think, no, there's just no way. Mm. In fact, the, the most Popular request that you can ever do for a Burmese person who is either going to or from Burma is saying "Lujong uh, Barmala," which means "Can you be, can you be my pack mule?" Basically. So, so what do it means that we used to do things like we would send fruitcake with people going to Burma to my grandparents. But British. Yeah, uh, because that's like what my Christmas grandparents. Yeah, fruitcake. Mm-hmm. My dad used. To, not my dad. My grandfather used to like corned beef. Um, he, he was in the British Army for a short while, mm-hmm. so he, he used to like all that kind of rubbish. In fact, until until kind of the whole liquids thing came in, we used to take kind of really cheap cider in my rucksack for my grandfather because that's what he loved. It's, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, so I was already married at that point, and I remember my husband going, are you sure? Are you sure he basically wants diamond white lightning or whatever? And I'm like, no, seriously.
2: That's the one he wants.
1: This is what he's requested. <laughs> Good on him. Man knows
2: what he wants. I know, it's horrific. Oh right, I'm gonna prawns Mm. have been de-oiled, everybody.
1: Yes. (laughs) I'm
2: gonna pour this into my sauce. right, okay, so um, back, we are de-veining. We're deveining, so
1: obviously normal devaning but also kind of a little bit deeper than normal because um, I want them to sort of butterfly slightly okay do you want to show me ha- what yes. do you want oh, yes yeah. and I will dutifully. right um yes so um so that kind of that horrific task I just made you do which yeah. is kind of scooping the uh <laughs> the brains the, the the tamale out of the shrimp is as I said basically if it doesn't have that kind of essence that prawny essence it's just not a Burmese prawn curry mm. um, and so we the, we love that stuff so much that basically um, you can actually buy jars of just that stuff in oh, Burma no. kind of like cooked down um, prawn head oil, basically. Okay, prawn oil. so you could um, just add a spoonful or something. You can, but a lot of yeah. people literally. Yeah, that's perfect. A lot of people will literally just have that on rice, just a spoonful of that. And that was my dad's okay. favourite snack when he was a child, apparently. Um, but it, it's funny because it is such a kind of treasured thing. This, this mythical essence, a bit like kind. Of, I don't know. It, it, Beloved in the way that you might love, like love truffles or mm-hmm. something like that, because obviously it's, it's hard to get hold yeah. it's of. Not, it's not quite as bad as you know getting saffron from a crocus, but you know but yeah, it takes a, some work. It takes some work and some effort to have hold, enough for a whole jar for exactly. Um, and I remember when I was um, probably when I was about ten or eleven, um, suddenly at home a um, a can appeared. Of this stuff. So it was a Burmese branded can it said finest prawn oil. Um and it was kind of really nice retro. It was green label, it had mm-hmm. kind of a smiling prawn on the outside. <laughs> not um, smiling for long.
2: <laughs> no, not smiling for long.
1: And I remembered thinking, oh my god, this is the best thing of all because I was already at that age I was already a fan of the, the prawn oil. Mm-hmm. Um and it just sat on the shelf at my mum and dad's house, or at our house, um, and my mum wouldn't do anything with it. And I kept thinking, oh, is it because she's, you know, she's wanted to save it for best, mm-hmm. or she just doesn't know if she'll use it as... Because I guess if you don't use it immediately, you probably turn rancid quite sure. quickly. Yeah. So I wondered why it was that it was on this shelf for such a long time. And then we moved house, and, you know, the, the can moved with us, and it was still... <laughs> On the top shelf in the cupboard and I kept thinking when is my mother gonna let me eat this because this is the best thing in the entire world um i found out afterwards that the reason we didn't touch it um was it was a it was an it was a sort of unwanted gift Uh and the reason it was an unwanted gift was even though the person that gave it to us was someone that we were friendly with um Mm -hmm. basically it was a it was a gift from the the burmese embassy Um, and the Burmese embassy had apparently got it from Burma and they'd actually got it from, um, the kitchen of Ne Win. So Ne Win um, was basically the military dictator of Burma for about 30 years. Uh, and I think, but basically at some point when he moved, they were clearing out his stock. And, um, he was giving away all of his stuff that he, you know, hadn't got round to using, and he had given out all these kind of goodies to various oh ambassadors. And so the ambassador had got this and then passed it on to, to us.
2: Oh my. So it was, it was, this is a kind of tainted gift.
1: Yes, slightly. So that's what my mum ever touched in. I think we just chucked it out in, in the end. Um, it it's was... interesting
2: that it came with you still though it didn't
1: well it... I think it was because my mum was superstitious and thought if we chopped it out people would know <laughs>
2: so <laughs> someone would find out
1: but it was such a shame because you know like I said it was this huge can kind of fine as poor it would have cost so much money and we never touched it we never opened it <laughs> so... gosh
2: that's this is the thing that just kind of haunted your kitchen yeah basically and I kept thinking why can't we open it and you know, it's because my mum didn't want to be,
1: you know, eating something that had come from the kitchen of General Nae Win. (laughs) so.
2: What, how had he come to, I don't know anything about the history of of Burma. Yes. How had he come to power, what was his It was uh, a coup, basically. He was
1: a Prime Minister originally, My, my history is quite shaky as well, but he was part of a group of people that basically got independence for Burma from the British, um, and then I think he was form he was part of a normal government mm. and then there was a coup and he took over with the military. Um, and then, you know, basically, you know, reign of terror for however many decades.
2: Gosh. My <laughs> story.
1: It's weird because I mean, one of the things about him was that he um was very, very nationalistic. Um weirdly in I guess in the same kind of way that Hitler was nationalistic, because Hitler was actually Austrian, is that right? So Nehren was actually Chinese, um, but he didn't like people knowing that. And so he was very kind of like... um, So originally, in for example, the schools and universities in Burma, people were taught in English as well as in Burmese, Mm -hmm. and he outlawed English, saying we could only speak Burmese. Um, And all sorts of kind of weird things like he was very down on western influences Mm. basically so that he could kind of you know keep us isolated from everyone else um i mean he was mad um but unfortunately you know when he was deposed the people that followed weren't that much better Mm. and you know
2: Mm, you look sad (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's the
1: thing about you know most of my family is still in Burma. A lot of my, my grandparents have died now. My, a lot of my aunts and uncles have been in to die. And I just kind of think it, it would be nice if they lived in a country that was free and they don't. And you know, some of them never never have and never will. My mum was born um, just after independence. My mum and dad were both born just after independence from the British. Um, and so it's kind of like they knew a very brief period of Burma being the way it ought to be, mm-hmm. um, and then you know the dictatorship came along, and one of the reasons that we came to this country was because they were basically fleeing Burma,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so <laughs> fleeing the regime or fleeing poverty or the regime. Mm-hmm. My family uh, <laughs> quite political um, in Burma this is and. Basically, if we hadn't come to this country, my dad would probably have gone to prison. Gosh. So, and there would, everyone in Burma who had any kind of thing to say against the government was thrown into prison very easily. Um, the prisons were just absolutely full of dissidents, either people that were speakers, people that were journalists. In fact, when um, so I I'm a lawyer by background, um, and my grandfather was always very very sad that I became a lawyer because he wanted me to become a journalist because he said journalists spoke the truth um, and lawyers were all corrupt and helped bolster the government. So he he didn't Mm. understand that things were different.
2: Yeah, sure. (laughs) So. (laughs) It's a sad story. It is. You know, that there's obviously your parents were able to get out and give you a different life and a different experience, but it's clear that you have a really strong connection to Well, Obama.
1: I always grew up being told that we'd go back at some point. I mean, it's very much um, okay. a diaspora type of thing. My my parents did not leave willingly, um, and so there was always the idea that we would go back. And, you know, I, you know, I was born here, but my brothers are uh, six and nine years older than me, okay. and so they have very strong memories of, of being children of Burma, And so... Um, it, it, it's funny because my my mum and dad are quite bolshy actually. So you know, I was saying about how um, they came as a brain drain. So there was mm-hmm. a whole there's a whole bunch of basically the only people that were literally allowed to leave the country seemed to be doctors I don't even know why because it seems weird that they were allowing the doctors to leave. Mm-hmm. But um, so everyone came and they brought their children with them. All I, mean, I, I there were various kids who are the same age as me who were either born in this country or born just before. Um, And it's very funny because I think everyone else um, were quite open about breaking their ties with Burma, and so um, they just thought, "Let's throw ourselves into life here because the situation is so bad out there. We can't imagine um, that it's going to get much better." And so, you know, let's just kind of draw a curtain across. We're not going to go back. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of these people, they didn't actually have much family and left in Burma either. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Mm -hmm. for us, everyone was still in Burma. And so it was just a case of, okay, we're, we're leaving, but not for very long.
2: We're just waiting.
1: Um, but because of that, my parents were very kind of, as I said, they were very bulshy, bulshy and they were like, well, you know, we are Burmese, so we're gonna speak Burmese at home and we're gonna dress um, in Burmese clothes. So, you know, I'm wearing, um, this is called a temen. this it's the Burmese version of um, the sarong, mm-hmm. basically. And even my husband, who is not Burmese, wears it now, because he's just used to it. Um, <laughs> Um, they, they they, you know, they taught me Burmese and so I speak it, I write it quite poorly I read it better um, but there are a lot of children of my generation who don't speak Burmese mm. because their parents said what's the point, we're not going to go back I mean it's not common it's, it's not just the Burmese that did this I think a lot of the sure other is. immigrant families had the same kind of thing and partly to do with the education system in this country actually because I remember my parents were called into primary school when um when i was little so i had to go with them because i was still quite small mm-hmm. um and so i think i would have been like in reception nursery age um so or maybe just before actually because my brothers were still quite young um and the headmaster said you're not allowed to speak burmese at home because you're never going to learn english properly and you know I've, I've spoken to other people that actually they've had similar experiences wow. it was just the attitude that you, you have to assimilate yes leave that
2: stuff at. Not even at home. No, it wasn't <laughs> just even leave, at home. Leave it. Yeah, leave it at because, the port. Yeah. We're,
1: we're not interested. And and you know, people that were less big-headed than my parents would have just would have said, "Okay." Yeah.
2: Language is so important, though, isn't it? In terms of holding on to identity, I think mean, you know, food and language yeah. are the two anchors. I think so much to to a sense of. Of identity, So I, I'm sure, and, and especially if your parents were thinking, well, we're not losing the language that we're going to return to. And we definitely well, exactly. want our kids to be able to speak. Well, exactly.
1: The idea was that we're going to go back, so you're going to have to make yourself understood. So,
2: But also the kind of, I mean, not just the racism, but the, the lack of knowledge, because we know that actually having an extra language is only... A good thing in terms of educational achievement and just keeping your ability open to learn other languages and keeping your options open in terms of work and well, exactly. opportunity.
1: Well, it, it's funny because, um, so my son is two years old and we went to see the health visitor because they have this review where they just check that he's kind of attaining all the levels, like can he do this, can he do that, mm-hmm. um, and the health visitor said to me, can he speak another language, like do you have a different language other than English? Mm-hmm. And my immediate reaction was to flinch slightly because I thought, just because of mm. what had happened to my family, that she was going to say, don't do that, you'll confuse him. But instead, she actually said, you really need to teach him because this is the best time to learn. And their language centres actually close up by the time they're seven, it's apparently. Apparent well, so... they, they don't
2: close up. Well, yeah, it's it's much, much It's a harder.
1: lot harder. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, and I just remember thinking, oh wow, attitudes have changed a bit, change this is rather
2: nice. Completely <laughs> so, different experience
1: to what your parents had. Oh, uh,
2: completely, completely. So, um, yeah. Did, did your parents ever talk about, I mean, that's a kind of example of an institutional racism experience, isn't it? And, and um, you know, maybe that teacher thought they were telling the truth, maybe they thought they were right. I think that was government policy yeah. to some extent. Did yes. your parents or you even ever think about uh, it, it, the experience that kind of of the racism in the in the when they came here because i guess i guess i'm thinking that you have a very interesting position and i think children of immigrants do have that very interesting position where they have a sense of identity of home and home equally means the actual physical home environment but also home as the place they've been displaced from hmm. and the, the country of origin as well as then straddling this new environment i think particularly for you born here mm-hmm. born into English culture, British culture, Mm -hmm. but having a a dual heritage Mm -hmm. and a dual culture to navigate, like what was, can you, do you have an objective kind of sense of that experience? Um,
1: it was kind of, it was kind of weird because obviously as you said, I, I was, we, the first time we went back to Burma, I say back, like I said, it's not like I came from Burma, I was you know I was conceived there Uh, but but the first time we we went um, I was eight years old and until that point I think it was more of a notion that we were from somewhere else I mean something that was always told to me and also when I was three my grandparents actually came and lived with us for a year and so I I kind of got that sense and there was there were always people visiting from Burma and you know that Mm -hmm. term I said Lujang so they'd be bringing things from Burma so like I don't know dried shrimps, crispy garlic, um, you know pickle tea, which is like one of our most famous weird things that we have. Um, I want to hear about it, but carry on. <laughs> so, so basically, there was always kind of like glimmers and glimpses into another life, another world, mm. and that was kind of, I think, for me, because I was a nerd. <laughs> this was really nice because it meant it made me feel like there was somewhere that accepted me. Because I think, well, I was small. And I don't, I don't even know if it was. I mean, I guess that there was some racism. Well, there's always been racism. But, I mean, I remember I was five when the first time a boy in my class told me to go back to my own country. Um, but I think um, I was also quite precociously spotty. Um, and so I used to get bullied quite a lot because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was interesting and nice. I think there were all these people out there who automatically had to love me and be my friends because they were related to me because i mean i've got 13 cousins and and there's so many aunts and uncles and i hadn't met any of them at that Mm -hmm. point but they would write to me um and send me photos and so it was nice to i was always already feeling like there was somewhere else that i could belong to if i wanted to um it's weird and in fact this is the first time i've really thought about it um because I already felt like somewhere else was home that I'd never been to. Mm. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, right. But uh, these these are there's kind of nuances to these experiences that are hard to get hold of. But there's I think there's something incredibly powerful about the idea that that there are a group of people who are keeping you in mind. Mm. Who, you know, maybe have never met you, yeah. but you belong to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about m- me particularly also is that because I am the youngest of my cousins, um, and my mum was the youngest of her siblings, so it was like the baby of her family had another baby, and so I think everyone was very kind of, oh, and my mum would send only pictures of me looking ridiculously cute and primped up, so they'd be like, <laughs> oh, look at this little girl, she looks like a little dolly, so, so, yeah, so it was all kind of smoking mirrors
2: <laughs> a lot of styling a lot of styling
1: <laughs> but I tell you actually one of the nicest things ever is um so um Burmese clothes you know, I'm telling you that I'm wearing a sarong which is a Burmese sarong um but there was a, a very particular style I think probably from the 1900s 1910s where basically women used to dress where they kind of used to look like princesses I and mean, this is the idea that i have Mm -hmm. so they would have the sarong that i'm wearing but it would be kind of bejeweled kind of fake crystals obviously Mm -hmm. um and they'd have their hair in a certain way and they'd have these beautiful kind of bejeweled clothes and they 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 did absolutely like princesses um and that kind of was i guess it was court wear um so you wouldn't be wearing it at home Mm -hmm. but it was standard because there were you know there was a lot of you know you weren't it wasn't like you were dressing up for a ceremony but you know if you were kind of doing some kind of formal occasion whatever that's how you'd be dressed um and to this day burmese women still dress like that for their weddings Mm -hmm. so it's kind of i guess the equivalent would be if everyone was dressed in a victorian style for their wedding Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but this this is the default so everyone has to dress like this um and when i was when i was four three or four Um, an uncle came over with um, his son to visit us and he brought a little outfit for me and it was that outfit and I remember dressing up in it and thinking oh my god I look like a princess (laughs) and it was the absolutely the nicest thing ever Um, when I was in the sixth form, we had a history A level and we used to have things like historical dinners and that kind of stuff Mm. and again my family sent me an outfit a little kind of princess's outfit so I dressed up like that. <laughs> what is that? It's
2: my phone. Okay. Sorry, let me switch on silent. I thought it was on silent, right? Oh, my God. Who wants, somebody really wants to talk to you. Oh, it's my
1: husband. Sorry. Um, historical dinners. Historical dinners. Um, so, yeah, so, so anyway, this, this, prince, this princess outfit, actually in Burmese, is called the Miwasan, which means, literally, um, the, the daughter of a king, uh, her outfit. So, um, so yeah, and it's a princess costume. And, yes, uh, so I had this uh, historical uh, dinner to go to and I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do and how I was going to dress. And my family sent me one of those outfits. So, actually, my, a friend of mine, my, my best friend at the time, um, dressed for this historical dinner as Queen Victoria. Her name was Victoria. Um, and then I dressed in this outfit and I just kind of thought, oh, you know, I, this is... Burmese history that I'm wearing, but also this is how people dress for their weddings, and it's just really nice to be feeling like this. This is my national costume, basically. So, yeah.
2: Where is home
1: for you? For me, um, I'm not sure. It's 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 when I'm in Burma, Burma is home, but when I'm here, here is home. Mm-hmm. Um, but then home might be, you know, this house with my family, with my husband and my children. But also when I go to see my parents, that's also home. <laughs> so it's it, it, it's weird. I, I I feel very kind of... I don't know. I guess a lot of it is the people around you, right? It, it's not necessarily the geographical location. Mm-hmm. Um, with my parents specifically, actually, they, um, they still live in my childhood home. So even more so, it feels like wow. home. <laughs> Um, so I'll go over, and you know, my my bedroom's still there. Um, it's it's not a shrine to me or anything, yeah. but, <laughs> but but it's the my same bedroom posters up from. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to go there, but but you know, it's still my room, and in fact, my my children refer to it as my room because that's how it's been described. My parents still describe it as my room, even though they haven't actually kept it the way it was, and so they'll be like, oh, "I'll go into Mummy's room," and so <laughs> they'll go in there. So so yeah, but I mean, it's it's funny because obviously my um I don't work full-time at the moment I'm, I'm basically trying to finish writing my book but um when I was working I was working in the city and my husband also works in the city and basically uh my children were being looked after by my parents most of the time and so they have a kind of similar situation where mm-hmm. this house is
2: their home but also their grandparents house is their home so
3: mm-hmm.
2: And your, so your husband isn't Burmese? No. Um, are you raising your children with a, a sense of Burmese identity? Yes, yes. Um,
1: so we're trying to teach them Burmese. It's uh, pretty hard going. Um, I'm trying to make sure my parents speak to them in Burmese as well. Um, one thing that I... I guess because I'm... I, I'd say it was old-fashioned, but I don't think it is even old-fashioned. So, um in Burma um, we have this thing where we use honorifics I think they use it in a lot of other countries as well so um, you won't just say someone's name you will give them a title so I'll, here's, here's an example so um, when I'm in Burma no one would call me Mimi unless they knew me really really well and were my peer mm-hmm. they would refer to me if, if they were like the same age or a bit older than or a bit younger than me or younger than me they'd call me Ma Mimi which means big sister Mimi. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if they're a lot younger than me, they'd call me Dormimi Mimi, which
2: means um, Auntie Mimi or Mrs. Mimi, basically. so. Auntie is the international one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone. Every growing up, every older woman I met, whether I was related to her or not, this is very common as well. Is Auntie. It also means you don't have to
1: remember names. <laughs> um, <laughs> And in fact, actually, when I when I, when I I was going back to Burma, before I'd kind of learnt everyone's names, because I had so many relatives, it was just really easy calling everyone Mama and Gogo, because Mama means big sister, Gogo means big brother, and then uncle and auntie. Um, and so I've done that with my children. So my son calls his sister Mama, i.e. big sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that, that I feel very strongly that you need to do that. So I do that with my own brothers. So my brothers I call Gogo, um, meaning big brother. I call them Guguji and which means big little brother and big big brother. Um, <laughs> and actually, when people refer to them by their actual names, it makes me twitch a bit because I'm like, that's not what they're called. You don't know them. <laughs> you don't know them. <laughs> but it, it's, it, like I said, it's very common in lots of other cultures. So um, my sister in law is half Sri Lankan and she does the same thing with her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, it's not just us being <laughs> strange like that. Um, so yeah we, we're trying to do
2: that kind of thing a lot can happen in the next three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance So the prawns are deveined. <laughs> the prawns are deveined. And that laugh is because of the little thing that you guys are not going to hear about. <laughs> the prawns are deveined. The prawns
1: are deveined, which means and all we need to do is reheat the sauce basically. And then I mean, it's, it's on a low heat at the moment. It's, ever since I put the the prawn oil in, it's just been kind of warming through. And then just before we're ready to eat, we just need to. Oh, you know what? There something is something else you have to do. There is something else have to do. I'm so distracted. Um, <laughs> We need to put um, a little bit of salt, a little bit of turmeric, and just kind of like mix it all together. Which I don't know why we do that. We just do that. So there's a lot of turmeric in Burmese cooking. Okay. Um, so you'll you'll see in the kitchen some of the countertops quite yellow stains that I can't get rid of. Um, but yes, uh, in terms of kind of marinating for fish and seafood
2: in particular, yeah, there's always a kind of little bit of salt and a little bit of turmeric. So I wonder. Hazarding a guess whether it's something to do with the antibacterial properties of turmeric. While keeping it fresh before we cook it. It's possible, I should make it in the heat
1: as well. Yeah. That, that may well be it. So. Is- I, my mum just said, oh, it gets rid of the fishy smell. So that's probably right, actually, what you're saying.
2: <laughs> so it's just a little bit of white cabbage. Yes.
1: yes. Okay, so, so this is cabbage and cucumber salad. So, um,. This is just some white cabbage, like about three, four leaves that I've rolled up and shredded, mm-hmm. and then we're going to add some cucumber, where I've taken like all of the seeds, so it's not going to be soggy,
2: mm-hmm. and some chili. I don't know how hot you like things. Um, it, <laughs> I'm laughing because in the last episode, I interviewed Shivi Ramatar. Oh, okay. Um, and she uh, she had some homemade ghost pepper chili sauce. Oh. Um, and that this was that cool. was her meaningful food. <laughs> So we went we that's went kind of painful. There. It was good. It was good. Okay. So yeah,
1: so Okay, I'm we'll good. go for it. So um, some green chili and some lime and some fish sauce. Okay. Um and yeah, this it's it, it's kind of this is kind of like the most basic salad we have in Burmese food. So we, we have this thing where we will turn everything into a salad if possible. So some of our most famous salads is that no, I mentioned to you before the pickle tea. There's a pickle mm. tea salad. And It's literally fermented tea yes we will go into this in a bit more detail in in a sec fantastic um, uh, we have a a pickled ginger salad Um, we uh, have pig ear salad we have uh, fish cake salad (laughs) basically anything that is remotely edible we'll try and put it in a salad um, and what so, makes
2: it a salad? What is the kind of designating well, factor that turns I, a sorry. fish cake into
1: Well So I don't know where the word salad comes from, like derivation or anything, but the word for salad in Burmese, I say it's kind of like um, the, the closest um, translation, but the word for salad in Burmese is a And a dough literally means kind of tossed, mixed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mixed or tossed, mm-hmm. so I mean, I guess there's always some sort of vegetable present, but not necessarily very much of it. I think the main thing is there is a dressing and things are tossed together. So salad, salad. <laughs> it's it's not like crazy American salads, or you know how like you have tuna salad, and you, I've never really understood that whole mm. kind of <laughs> A Russian salad. To... Oh, that's like,
2: was it eggs and... Eggs and potatoes and tuna and peas. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess potato salad is... famous in Spain. <laughs> 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 the only people that I know who consistently make a Russian salad or entalada rusa are on Spanish. Oh. I know, which I, I'm not is sure. It even Russian? That's, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> I, and maybe it is, maybe there's... I'll look into that and see whether, I don't know, there was some sort of occupation or something. Um, but it's called entalada rusa. Um, and it's a favourite of the old Spanish women that I know.
1: Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. So anyway, um, so do you want to do some chopping? I'll do some yeah. shopping. Yeah. <clears throat> i get you a chopping board then. Because I'm not kind of professionally trained as a chef, mm-hmm. I don't really know the terms for cooking a lot of the time. Um, and When I was writing the recipes for my book, I was kind of thinking... I don't know how to describe what I'm doing at
2: this point. Is that your first book or this one that you're...
1: Well, even this one. There was there was one... Um, so, I was talking about... Um, for a, t- a chicken and tomato salad. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't know what i was thinking i mean there's a thing because i've grown up with both languages sometimes i say stuff which makes sense in burmese and i've translated it way too literally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so i said slice the tomato into strips and they had to just send it back and went what, what does this mean and i was thinking don't you know what that means slice it into strips and then i was thinking oh okay so what i mean is slice it into half, scoop out the seeds, then slice it really thinly and then cut it in half again so you have little pieces, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So I uh, thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe what I'm saying isn't quite as coherent as I thought it would be. So, um, But it seems like um,
2: finely chopped versus mince. Now, I've always mm. used the word mince, but I've been told that you have to say finely chop. Um, no, I think there's a difference between a finely chop and a mince. Yeah. Like a minced onion is kind of oh, going so to be thought, pulpy, yeah, whereas yeah. a finely chopped onion it just is tender and
1: really cute. Well, it seemed corrected in my book. Oh, from, really? From mince to finely chop, and and I'm kind of thinking, okay, Hmm. so interesting.
2: I <laughs> should get back to my editor. <laughs> yeah, that's some word. So, so when know. you, how did the first book come about? Um... <laughs> So
1: that's, that's kind of funny. So um, the guy that commissioned it from me um, was the um, art director from my publishers, that, who were actually publishing this book. Um, and he was a friend of mine. Like, you know what Twitter's like. So basically, you follow people that are vaguely like-minded, mm-hmm. that will talk crap with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of those people that I'd, I'd been talking crap with for many years. Um and I've always been quite opinionated on Twitter, as you may have seen. Um, just once or twice. Just once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things I'm opinionated about is kind of like food, obviously. Um, and so he um, messaged me and said, um, I want to talk about an, an idea. Uh, can I have your phone number? And he, I gave him my phone number and rang me up. Um, and he said we have this book that we would like someone to write and we think you're the person to write it so it was kind of a a situation where I kind of went uh I guess you know (laughs) so I agreed to do it and the timing was that when they asked me to do it I was actually on maternity leave Um, so obviously because I was kind of hysterical from having just had a child I thought oh yeah I can have a child and be on maternity leave and write a book at the same time um (laughs) So that's Good what plan. I did it was a great plan um, but you know my parents are very, very supportive so they they did a lot of babysitting mm-hmm. for me during that time um so I kind of spent half half my time breastfeeding
2: and half my time writing a book oh, goodness. So... and so it hadn't been because often the story is well I've been wanting to write a book for a long time and so I was pitching the idea or I was collecting recipes um so <laughs> No. <laughs> so I, 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 I've always I,
1: so my my blog. I don't know if you've ever looked it. So I haven't actually written anything on it for about two years, for a start, which is terrible. But it started off because I because I'm opinionated and because I was talking rubbish about. I used to be obsessed with food TV and I used to watch a lot of MasterChef. And it was two thousand and nine and basically I'd watched kind of the, the, the series that That's had Thomasina Meyer series, isn't it? Just after. just after. So she was the first year of the reboot mm-hmm. and then this was um, like Matt Follis mm-hmm. and Auntie <laughs> Amazingly. Um I, I I kind of was ranting to my husband about it, um, because of the whole thing I just find it so hilarious and ludicrous. And my husband The was, setup. The whole was... just everything. Like you know, because it's all so staged and I think they're all the three finalists were such huge characters that um I just thought, this is, this is funny, I'm going to talk about it. And my husband went, don't tell me about it. Why don't you just write about it on a blog? I, I hear these things are fashionable these days.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is what the kids are doing. <laughs> exactly.
1: Can I say, my husband doesn't even have a Facebook. He hates social media that much. I think he was just trying to distract me. Um, so... <laughs> So I went, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try this blogging lot. And I did that. Um, and then I was just writing nonsense for up to the ages. So I would do TV reviews and restaurant reviews and the odd recipe, but kind of random recipes. And I never really... The blog was never really about Burmese food, weirdly. Um, but then I found Twitter, and then I spent most of my time kind of talking about anything that vaguely interests me. And then I started talking about Asian food generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I guess more of my, the Burmese stuff crept into my blog just because, especially as I was getting older, I, I was kind of thinking about it a lot more because it's always been, I don't know, it's always been a very big part of my life but quite a private part of my life mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and I started thinking, oh, maybe I should share some stories about my family and about our food because no one knows anything about it and it's so good. Um, and then... Um, again over twitter i was um contacted um by someone who i'd been following for a while and vice versa um and it turned out she was an agent um and she um said oh let's meet for lunch and then i started thinking "Uh uh-oh you know how you do because you know especially when you're on twitter for quite a long time you kind of think these are my friends they're my virtual friends i I will never meet them (laughs)
2: The, and the i
1: was i was so safe. um and then she was like oh you know she should meet for lunch and I was thinking hmm, hmm what does she want so I, I met up with her for lunch and then i realized she was interviewing me and I, it was the funniest thing in a really nice gentle way but then i thought like, oh oh because she wants to take me on I think i don't know why what does she want Ah. um and then yeah she then said that she wanted me as a client and I kind of thought i didn't as, you know as I said I, I, I was a full-time i had a full-time job and I thought, haha, that'd be really funny. I can tell people I have an agent. <laughs> so, so, so I agreed. And then she decided that I needed to do some work for it. And uh, said... Yeah, and said,
2: that's troublesome. Yeah,
1: and then she <laughs> said to me, oh, I think you should write a proposal. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, she asked me to write a proposal for a Bernie's cookbook. Um, so this was 2011, I think. Um, and I went, okay... And I did one and you know, I, I I worked pretty hard on it, but with absolutely no expectations at all. Um, and you know, she 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 liked it and she sent it around to all the publishers and then I most of them were like, This is really the proposal's beautiful and this is so well written, but, but no one knows anything about yeah. them or no one cares. Um, and and then I kind of went, All right. <laughs> no skin off my nose um, and then as I said like a year or two later I got commissioned to do Noodle and I went alright it'd be quite nice to have a book under my belt um, it doesn't look like anyone wants the Burmese cookbook and I'm not that fussed to be honest Oh, and, and, and so so I wrote, I wrote Noodle and then you know it it came out and you know it's done all right <laughs> it's you know i'm quite pleased with it and, and but what i did
2: this do is actually less so fair approach <laughs> <Not> to authorship <laughs> i have ever heard <laughs> well, because
1: the thing is right I, 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 it's part of a series it is it, it is a nice book and i'm very i am very proud of it but it's part of a series it was never meant to be kind of Something that got me on the telly or on the radio, page, it did get me on Woman's Hour. I was quite astonished because I was like, "Oh, I'm talking to Jenny Murray." Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of a series. It's one of those book club type books that you know you you buy for your niece that's going off to university. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's it was never going to be on the recommended table of Waterstones. Where he's just going to kill me. For... <laughs> The point is that I've done this book but then what I did do actually I've made very clear that I wanted to put Burmese recipes into it mm-hmm. and so I actually stuffed it for there's probably about eight or nine noodle recipes in there because I thought well no one's gonna I no was gonna commission this book so I'm just gonna put all my Burmese recipes in, in there sneak them in and people can make you know our national dish and go oh, this is lovely and you know I, I will you know this is my little contribution Um, and so you know all fine and dandy and then I carried on thinking oh well that was my book and people kept saying are you going to write another book and I went I have a job I don't have the time to write a book what are you talking about and everyone kept saying have you got a follow up blah blah I mean that's the thing. I know so many people who are freelance like yourself, and I just think I could, that's not a life I could deal with because I quite like having do an you need office. Yeah. I think I do. I th- I like to be able to go and come back to an office and you know be be doing something stable. I guess, especially because I've got children. You know, I, I like to feel like I'm doing. I don't have to particularly like my job, but I need to be doing something that has that sense of structure and stability. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, you know, I thought nothing more of it. And then just just before Christmas, this was, um, my agent rang me up. I think I was on a bus at the time. And she said to me, oh, you know, your publishers, they'd like to give you a deal for your Burmese cookbook. And my reaction was, what? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I hadn't really thought about it for about six years, you Mm -hmm. know. So... um, and she said, yeah, yeah, no, they, they really want you to write it because they think the time is right. I think people are interested. There are, you know, there are increasing numbers of pop-ups and, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a couple of restaurants now and people have always known you to be, I think the term she used was the authority on Burmese food. Oh. I would say the biggest loudmouth.
2: Dang! Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here with the authority... <laughs> On Burmese cooking,
0: Alleg- me, me, eh?
2: allegedly, allegedly, fantastic. No, you um, mean to put that on a card. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that mentioned. needs to be in your bio. You can switch everything on Twitter and just say the authority on Burmese food. Of oh, course, do you know what? That'd be fantastic. I,
1: I think it's just the press release. Fantastic. So. <laughs> so, so I kind of went, oh, okay, I'll do it. And then, then my agent was like, "Well, you know, is this not what you've always wanted?" And I went, "Yeah, but that requires
2: effort." <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad you've, you've approached the idea with enthusiasm. <laughs> and uh... Well, can I
1: say that I did that. I know I, I, know I take the mic, but I I actually quit my job because I thought if I was going to do it, I was going to do it properly because mm-hmm. I knew that I wouldn't have the time or energy to do it, especially with children. I know I keep mentioning them, but they, they take up a lot of my life.
2: Um, quite demand-heavy kids.
1: We're little. That's one of the <laughs> main things. So, And actually, at the time yeah, no, my son was incredibly annoying he still is incredibly annoying um, <laughs> so, so basically I, I just thought, I'm, okay so I've got two options, I can either turn down the book deal and carry on working or I can throw everything you know, in, in the air and go, okay, sod it I'll, I'll quit my job and I'll write this bloody book um, and then do the best I can and throw myself into it wholeheartedly and then see what happens from there. So, yeah, I, I quit, quit my job. My boss almost had a hard time. Um, <laughs> so you were a lawyer? What kind of lawyer No, oh. I, I was in uh, tech, legal and tax publishing. Oh, OK. Um, so, um, um, yeah, I was head of editorial. Um, so I was quite senior. <laughs> OK. <laughs> so basically after Christmas, um, I handed my resignation. <laughs> boss was going to have kittens
2: um, with a view to return or no no just out just done
1: well I mean I've been at that place for quite a long time and I figured whatever um, if, if I do go back to somewhere and I think I will because as I said the freelance life I don't think it is really for me I haven't felt like I've freelanced I really haven't because I've just been I felt I feel like I've been on a sabbatical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. basically um, but yeah I, I, I want to kind of use my skill set to do something else basically Mm -hmm. but you know i I don't want to go backwards so so yeah so i quit and it wasn't it wasn't quite like walking out the door in a dramatic way unfortunately because my um job had three months notice period so quite a long time just kind of like writing handover notes and training my um successor Mm -hmm. basically who was someone in the department actually so um and
2: there's me me She's off to write a book.
1: <laughs> well, that, that was the nice thing, actually, because I think a lot of people obviously leave jobs for bad reasons, um, not through and for their own, but, you know, just because they, they don't like it anymore or the situation's changed or, you know, they, there's, there's something mm-hmm. bad and that's the reason you've quit. Whereas for me, I get to say this
2: sort of semi-glamorous thing where I said, yeah, I've got a book deal, bye. So <laughs> that's what I did. All right, so cucumbers are
1: sliced. <laughs> yes, so if you want to um, combine them with the cabbage, I'm just gonna make them a salad. I'm gonna chop up these chili. See, one of the things that I always used to find hilarious when um, I was watching TV growing up, and you know, people, so you know, in terms of kind of non-Western food, it was probably mm-hmm. Ken Hom and Mado Jeffrey. It was probably yeah. all we ever saw. Yes. But, It was always amusing to me when people had um, chilies and they would... The first line would be something like, do you seed your chilies? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just very alien to Burmese cooking. It's kind of like, what? Why? That's the best bit! So so yes I never do see chillies okay. I do know that it's not as attractive as the only issue I know some people kind of go oh you've got these little pieces flying around but you know that's the flavour it's the soul of the chilli that is the flavour <laughs> I think isn't is technically the, the pithy bit is the hottest yeah bit. I think so
2: yeah, yeah. ovary yeah, yeah. <laughs> herbatic- <laughs> exactly. isn't it more attractive terminology we're talking about pancreas, exactly just the organs of yeah. food
1: it's interesting Right, I'm just going to squeeze in some lime and we'll put a teaspoon of fish sauce in this and then it'll be done And We can let the the flavours mellow for a little bit Um, But yeah, this is basically it Uh Okay, so I'm just going to serve you up some rice So what we uh, generally do is we take out the first scoop and then we put it to one side and that's called uchak and what that is, is... um, We're putting it to one side for everyone that can't be there. Um, So it's for like your other loved ones, for your teachers, for your parents, for your grandparents, anyone you're thinking of. That's like the respect of the first spoonful of rice,
2: and you eat that last. (laughs) Okay. So when you say who can't be there, you mean like physically or people who have passed away? Either. 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 Yeah.
1: But it's it's people that you love and respect. So it wouldn't be like for your friends Mm -hmm. or anything.
2: It'd be the people but you I guess sort of owe a debt to mm-hmm. I suppose. So, anyway so that well that means that kind of family is marked at every meal or in yes. you know, the relationships are marked yes at every exactly meal. exactly so tell me about pickle tea
1: <laughs> so there's a, a burmese saying um, which is um adama wet a the mother yet a a lape and that basically means um, of all the meat, pork is the best. of all of the fruit, mango is the best, and of all the leaves,
2: tea is the best. I agree with all of these statements. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and yeah, basically, um, tea, we you know we drink green tea. It's called jiang, mm-hmm. which means kind of hot, rough water. Um, we like the kind of Indian style milky tea as well with mm-hmm. like too much sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the way we love it the best, is as uh, lapet. Now, lapet is basically pickled tea uh, and we eat it. And so, basically, um, pickled tea is really, really important, has always been historically important. So, when you know in our long ancient history there were wars um, from the various kingdoms in Burma because there's always been a lot of strife from all the different parts of the, the, the country because it's just so big. Um, when uh, there was a settlement, and when the kind of the, the kings of the, the neighbouring places would kind of come to an agreement, they would sit down over pickled tea because that was the way of showing that it was a peace offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also served at weddings um, and other ceremonial occasions. It's how you um, you end the meal with um, a portion of pickled tea. And the way we have it is we either have it. um, there's like a special compartment I actually have a lacquer container which I'll show you but it's like a lacquer box which has divisions Mm -hmm. and you have the tea in the middle because it's the most important bit and then you have kind of all the little garnishes at the side so you have kind of things like fried peanuts and crunchy garlic and pickled ginger and fried broad beans and little dried shrimp and then what you're meant to do is you're meant to take like a portion of the tea and then a little bit of everything else and then you mix it on your plate and then this is, this is how, if a visitor came to your house unexpectedly, this is what you would serve them. You would serve them your little kind of container lacquer like box full of the, the various little ingredients dished up in tiny portions. And you know, that person would have a nibble of everything and have some of the, the green tea to drink alongside. And that would be the kind of, this is my visitors like tea and biscuits, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other way that we have it is as a salad, you know, I was saying about everything's a salad. So, that version is kind of much of the same ingredients, all the crispy things and the crunchy things, mm-hmm. but also you add white cabbage, um, tomato, and a bit more of a dressing, and then you mix it all together. And again, it's eaten in the same way, though. This, is, again, would be something that would be served to you at a wedding or at the end of a meal as kind of like a palate cleanser, mm-hmm. or so I it, it, said it can be a snack, actually. It's, it's quite popular amongst students because it's like a quick and dirty meal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, pickle tea mm-hmm. is one of our favourite things. But um, it's funny because obviously because it's so kind of significant in Burmese food, mm-hmm. um, I had to put it in the book. Um, and So this, this is my book that's just coming out mm-hmm. next summer. Um, What's it going to be called? It's going to be called Mandalay, Burmese Food and Beyond. Um, it's tied into a Facebook group I have, which is called Burmese Food and Beyond. But basically, because obviously t- pickle tea is expected to be in there, um, there is a recipe for the pickle tea salad, which is called le um, And I, I thought long and hard about whether I was going to actually try and work out how to make le Pet. And then I thought this was kind of beyond my capability because this is something that, because it's so significant and so important, it's sold by the you know, basin load in Burma. Mm-hmm. You can go to a street food market and they will literally have like this huge tub of the stuff, all different spices, all different you know, kind of heat levels. And you just kind of ask for a scoop of it and you put it in a plastic bag and you take it away and you take it home. So no one makes it. No you know, it's a specialist thing. I mean, I think the proper way of making it is that you know, you you boil the leaves and then you leave them to ferment and Mm -hmm. then you put them in the sun for a week and press them and then repress them and it's you know So is it a
2: block? How does it or Is it little pieces?
1: So it's it's I know if you have a cup of green tea. Mm. It looks pretty much like the bottom. Okay. So it's mulchy leaves. Okay. So yes, yeah, so those mulchy leaves would be dished up um, and just mixed. And it looks it looks terrible. It's not an attractive dish. It looks a bit like pondweed. but it is so delicious and it's just because it's just a little bit astringent and a little mm. bit bitter and a little bit. I mean, there's mm. the savoury elements and it's just kind of it's very refreshing. Mm. Um, I'm try and find some. You can get some. So there are various suppliers There's, um, that you can get. There, there, there are various companies that sell it here now. Um, the restaurants here, the Burmese restaurants here serve it. Okay. Obviously Le Pet does because it's named after the stuff. Um, so you can go and have that. Their, their salad's really good. Their Le Pet. Okay. those are really good. So yes, go and go and have it. But obviously in my in my recipe book, what I've done is I've, I've named um, a couple of suppliers that you can get it from. Um, but I've also suggested kind of almost substitutes, which might be vaguely similar, but to be honest, there's nothing that really matches the, the texture or the flavour. So. Mm. But anyway, leading on to that is um, the tofu fritters that I've made for mm. us. So basically, this again, this is something that's kind of like almost like a, this is a heritage recipe. This is something that everyone in Burma loves to eat. Um, and again, this is something that no one makes at home. Because you go to kind of street food stalls and restaurants, and you know, they have it and by the bucket load, you know. And so, um, I kind of thought, oh, okay, I need to work out how to make this. And they've always been kind of like recipes floating around in the various kind of there, there are a lot of American Burmese cookbooks, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never tried any of their recipes, basically, because I think there was one in particular, maybe there's a couple which says something about how this particular recipe for Tofu, you can't fry the burmese tofu and um i kind of thought but that's what you do with it that's the main thing you do it because you can also turn it into a salad it's that salad thing again but so they go this is a version that can only be used in salads but you can't fry it and i've had people kind of say to me well i've tried to fry those ones and it's just fallen apart in the um the saucepan and Mm -hmm. the frying pan and i've kind of thought this doesn't seem right mm. now my mum's always made it and she's always been even my mum has been a little bit hit and miss with it and my mum's like the best cook I know better than I am um, and so sometimes it will work perfectly and sometimes it won't so I thought I'm, I'm going to make this if it kills me because there is no supplier, because it's a fresh thing mm. so and then I found one recipe which claimed that it worked for frying and it involved using muslins and hanging it for nine hours and then re and I thought I'm not doing that Ain't nobody got time for that no one's got time for that um, and it was kind of tracing it like kind of bean curd tofu, like mm. soybean bean tofu. And I yes. thought, no, because my mum doesn't make it like this, um, and because my mum is slightly vague and every so often it doesn't work. She she said, oh, I'm not really sure what my recipe is. I just do it by eye in the way that a lot of mothers do. Mm-hmm. So I said to her, okay, I'm going to crack this thing. So uh, <laughs> my, my my I'm a terrible kind of like recipe taker in in the like all of my recipes are notes on my phone. Um, and then you'll see for the tofu, there's like five versions. Now, version five is the version that I was happy with. Um, and basically, yeah, this you can. You still need to make it overnight, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like you you make it, you forget about it. The next morning, you fry it, and it's
2: it's awesome. foolproof. Really good, and the dip is delicious. And it feels it feels like a beer snack kind of. Oh yeah. Bar snack. Type. Exactly. So this is something that you would have as a side dish, or you would just
1: kind of eat while watching TV or anything. Um, but yeah, it's um. The reason I kind of keep flipping between calling it Burmese tofu and Shan tofu is because the Shan version, which is kind of like the original version, Shan is one of the ethnicities in Burma. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know, like 20% Shan, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. So they use just split peas, uh, split yellow peas, that is, and theirs is a lot paler. Mm-hmm. But the Burmese version, which is the version I've made, uses more chickpea flour, some more ground flour, um, and also uses turmeric which i said is in everything so
2: it's kind of more golden looking Mm. so well i think we should save the audience our eating noises (laughs) so i'll probably wrap up the podcast here um people want to follow you we'll do a book giveaway and i'll I'll pop that in the intro but if people want to follow you interact with you hear your stories find your recipes where can they do that um so i kind of float around the web under the the username
1: meemily um, so that's M-E-E M-A-L-E-E so I have an Instagram I have a Twitter account um, as I said I've got a Facebook group which is only Burmese food if you're interested in that and that's called Burmese food and beyond Fantastic.
2: Um, so yeah thank you so 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 much for having me over putting me to work also <laughs> feeding me this incredible spread um, I'm really grateful
1: you're very welcome now let's tuck in
2: <laughs> and that's it you can find Mimi at That's E.com. and I'll be running a giveaway of Noodle on my Instagram page so do keep your eyes peeled for that. The next episode of the podcast is out in two weeks but there's new food and psych up every day on Instagram to keep you going in the meantime so until then thank you very very much for listening and I wish you the very best of health.